we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse number 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whom soever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to notice the phrase we find in the very close of the 29th verse. Find rest under your souls. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. Find rest for your soul. Find rest for your soul. Uh, we live in an anxious world, do we not? A world that is full of suffering. A world that is filled with instability and uncertainty. A world that is filled with crime and hatred and strife. And there are many troubled souls. Job writes that man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. And if you've lived more than just a few days, you've already discovered that life truly is full of trouble. Trouble on every hand. But I'm glad that God offers to us rest. Rest from our anxious lives. Rest from the burdens that we carry. We note the words of the Lord Jesus in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, we understand that primarily he's speaking here, of course, uh, to those Jews who were in his audience, largely comprised his audience. Perhaps a few Gentiles may have heard him speaking. He's speaking primarily to those then who were under the system of the law that was not given to them by God, although the law was given by God. Make no mistake about that. But the system that they were living under was a system that had been twisted and misused by a group called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as Jesus said, they, they placed heavy burdens on people. Heavy burdens. Impossible restrictions. And they took all the joy out of their devotional life to God and made it a burdensome thing. So this invitation, come unto me, find rest unto your souls, is primarily an invitation to come to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him as Savior. To be freed from the oppressiveness and the burden of the system of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
to be free from the burden of sin and to be delivered into life everlasting, to rest from the endless religious activity and rest in the person of Christ, to rest from our labor and rest simply in his labor. That's the invitation. And we find as we come to him that we can find rest unto our souls. But those of us who know the Lord is our Savior, we have found that rest ultimately in him. Do you remember the day that you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Do you remember the immediate sense of rest that you experienced in your soul when the burden of your sin was rolled away? When the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell within you? When all things became new, you were a new creature in Christ Jesus the day that you received him as your Savior. You had life eternal, a home in heaven. What a glorious thing. But as we live our lives, even as believers, oftentimes troubles come to us, difficulties come to us, and we find ourselves, as Jesus described them, laboring and heavy laden. And once again, we need to hear the invitation of the Lord Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Find rest for your souls. Well, how do we find rest for our souls? Well, I, I think there are three things the Lord gives us here, and I hope you'll write them down. First of all, if we're going to find rest for our souls, we must, number one, recognize his identity. Recognize who it is that has offered this rest to us. Recognize who it is who has extended this invitation to us that we could come unto him. I want you to notice in verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. You see, we begin in verse 25 as we read this text, and we find that Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying in the audience of a group of listeners. And as he prays, his prayer transforms from a prayer just simply to God to a, a lesson, a time of instruction to a group of hearers. In Matthew 11, in this same chapter, in uh, the, the prior verses, I want us to look at verse 20. We're going to find the context of this prayer. We're going to find the context of this invitation that is offered to us. In verse 20, the Bible says, then began he, that's Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. He began to, to speak about them and, and, to, and to, to upbraid means to correct them, uh, to scold them. Uh, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now he's upbraiding the cities of Galilee, those cities that he had visited himself, those cities where he performed miracles, those cities where he taught the word of God with authority. His power to perform miracles was unquestionable. They'd never seen or heard anything like it. His power, his miracles were testimonies of who he is. That's why he did the works that he did, to testify of who he was. His passion, the fact that he was seeking lost souls, the fact that he was speaking to them the truth. They said, never a man spake like this man. He amazed them. They were astonished at his words because he was one who taught them as having authority, and he did have authority. As he said in his prayer in verses 25 and beyond, as we read in this text, that all things were given to him from God, his authority, his word, his power. There was no doubt that the Son of God was in their midst, but yet they rejected him. They, they, they made excuses. They tried to explain away his miracles. And so he began to upbraid them. In the midst of this rejection, he offers this prayer that we read in verse 25. And notice what he says. He says, Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now, when the Lord speaks here of wise and prudent people, he's not speaking of those that we would think are, are, are wise in a godly sense, but no, he's speaking of those who are wise in a worldly sense. Meaning that their wisdom does not come from God. Their wisdom is, is, is worldly wisdom. It is the wisdom of man. The kind of wisdom that does not acknowledge God. By the way, if you want to have wisdom, as the book of Proverbs tells us, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. So when you remove God from the scene, when you, when you live and act as if he does not exist, and when you claim boldly that he doesn't exist, as many in this world do, then your wisdom is limited to the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of man is the wisdom that explains away miracles that can't be explained. The wisdom of man uh, looks God in the face and says, oh, he's the son of a carpenter. But the wisdom of God leads us to acknowledge that he is who he said he is, the son of God. When he speaks of babes here, he's speaking of those who obviously are helpless you see, the wise and the prudent of this world, they don't need help. In fact, they're the ones who want to dispense help. They think that they can get along without God. Uh, they, they have established um, uh, all, all sorts of philosophies and doctrines 
to, to teach us and to explain to us that we don't need him. And God has hidden his identity from them. But he has revealed it unto us who are babes. What what, what do you mean by that? That means that we understand that we're helpless. We understand that we need a savior. Uh, Our granddaughter, I had the opportunity to be with her, and she was in a, a crib and the monitor was there, you know, and, and my job was to listen to the monitor because when she cried, I had to go and get her. And so I listened to the monitor and I heard the cry. And by the time I got to where she was, she was standing up. And she had her eyes wide open, beautiful eyes, helpless eyes with tears streaming down her beautiful cheeks And she's looking to me. I don't know if I was her first choice. (laughs) But I was her only choice. And she was looking to me to deliver her from that situation. She can't fill that bottle and mix that formula herself. She can't get the toys she wants. She she can't get out of that that, uh, crib unless I help her. And you see, we have to understand that we're helpless people filled with trouble and strife in this world. We have no power to save ourselves. We have no power to solve our problems. We have no uh, strength or power uh, to lay out our future. Now, we make plans all the time, but if you've lived a while, you understand that God is not limited or confined by your plans. And what we must do is humble ourselves and recognize who we are. We're helpless babes in a world full of trouble. And we have no answer. And we must look to him. And I want to tell you, if that little girl wants me to move on her her behalf, if she wants me to do what she ultimately wants done. She knows how to do it. The cry and the tears and the look of the eyes. And I'm going to respond to her. And by the way, when we come to the Lord as little children, he will receive us and he will respond to us. But we have to recognize him for who he is. He's the son of God. He said, come unto me. Look at verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And to he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. There is a bold claim that Christ is making in this prayer. Here's the bold claim as they listen to him. What is he saying? He's saying this. By the nature of my relationship to the Father as his Son, I am saying that I am God. And that's what Philippians tells us, right? 
He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is not simply some created being, as other religions will tell you. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the coexistent Son of God. He is the co-equal Son of God. He is the creator who spoke all things into existence. It was Jesus who did that. He is the redeemer who laid down his life for us to save us. He considered it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we're not looking at the son of a carpenter. We're not looking at the founder of a religion or a a philosophical system. No, we are looking at the son of God. His person, his power. I can lift that little girl out of that baby bed. She can't get herself out of there, but I can. And God can lift me up as the psalmist said, out of the miry clay. And he can set my feet on the solid rock and he can establish my goings and he can put a new song into my heart because I've met God. So if you want to find rest for your soul, the first thing you have to do is you have to recognize his identity, who he is. The second thing we must do is respond to his invitation. There is an invitation in this passage. In fact, this is the heartbeat of it, is it not? In verse number 28, here's the invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, as I read that statement, three questions come to me in the midst of my weary life. I imagine that in the midst of your weary life, these questions may come. First of all, to whom do we come? Well, we've already established his identity, right? We're coming to Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 in in verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, And the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no way to get to God but through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the Christ of some uh, that is the figment of one's imagination. You know, people say, well, I like to believe that God is this, and I like to believe that God is that. No, it is what Jesus has revealed in his word, which is the truth. And if you're going to come to him, you have to come according to his truth. He is the way to God, he is the truth of God, and he is the life. No man cometh unto the Father, he said, but by me. That's why the invitation is important for us to understand. Who do we go to? We go to him. When the multitudes were walking away from him in John chapter 6, the Lord asked his disciples, will you go away also? And Peter made this wonderful statement. In John 6, verse 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no other place for us to go but to Jesus. 
So who do I bring my burdens and trials and troubles to? Who do I bring this, uh, to, uh, my sin to? You bring it to Jesus. Well, who can come? Well, notice this, please, in verse 28. Come unto me all. Would you circle that word? Or maybe write it down in big, bold letters in your notes? Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's all of us. All of us who labor and are heavy laden can come to Jesus. What's the word labor mean? Well, we understand it means to work, but here in this sense, it, it, it speaks to us of the, the fact that one has worked and labored and has come to a point of exhaustion, weariness. Do you ever get weary in life? We all have burdens to deal with, right? We have a church, a church of wonderful people, and a church filled with wonderful people who are not wonderful in themselves. They're wonderful because they know Jesus. He's made them that way. Do you know what all those wonderful people have? They have a sin nature. They get angry. They say things they shouldn't. They get tempted. They struggle with sin. They have burdens, sicknesses, relationship problems, stresses and pressures of life, grief, suffering. In this room, if we just poured it all out, if we just poured it all out in this room, we don't have a vessel large enough to contain it, do we? There are people who are in this auditorium right now who could barely possess the strength to get in here. Your mind is so cluttered. Your heart is so heavy. You're weary. You don't have a moment's rest. These troubles occupy your mind night and day. You're wondering if there's any hope, if there's any end in sight, you labor. Jesus has an invitation for you. Now listen, don't miss this opportunity. All you that labor and are heavy laden, responsibility. Some of you mothers, you don't have a moment's rest. Some of you grandparents, you don't have a moment's rest. Maybe you anticipated by this time in your life you would, but you don't. And every day seems to bring new trials. And it seems as if you're overwhelmed. Jesus has a word for you. Come. Who can come? All of us. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Why should we come? To find rest. That's what we need, isn't it? Rest for our souls. Rest for our troubled minds and hearts. Rest for our sinful habits. Rest for the guilt and the shame. Rest for the anxiety and the strife. We need rest. Do you need rest? 
Jesus offers it. Come unto him. Do you know that we can come to him because he came to us? There was a Samaritan woman 2,000 years ago who had been married five times. She was living with a man who was not her husband. She wasn't very popular in the social scene. In fact, she came to the well at such an hour that she knew none of the other women in the village would have been there. A man who was a Jew began to speak to her. She was shocked that a Jew would speak to her. She's a Samaritan. This is a woman who was an outcast of the outcasts. But do you know that God, before the foundation of the world, before he ever spoke this universe into existence, had that woman on his mind? And do you know that he scheduled an appointment with her at high noon that day at the well in Samaria? And do you know that God has known you before the foundation of the world? And do you know that he scheduled an appointment with you? He showed up at the well that day, and here she came with her water pot. And he began to speak to her about the need of her life, the thirst, not just of her body, although she'd come to get water, but the thirst of her soul, the unfulfilled expectations that those relationships had left her in an empty condition. But that day she met Jesus. The one who said, if you'll drink this water that I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. And she left her water pot. She got a good drink of the spiritual water that Christ gives, the sustaining water, the clean and pure, refreshing water of the life of Christ. You see, she was able to come to God because he came to her. Do you know that that woman, a Samaritan, would have never went into the temple and worship Jehovah God. No. She wouldn't even worship with her own people because she was looked down upon. She had no way to get to God, yet God came to her. By the way, see yourself in that Samaritan woman. None of us had any access to God. Paul writes in Ephesians that we were strangers. That means we didn't know God. We weren't part of the family of God. We were aliens. We were at enmity with God, but yet in the midst of that, he came to us. We couldn't get to where he was, so he came to us. And because he came to us, we can come to him. The Bible said he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He came to a demon-possessed man of Gadara. And because he came to him, he was able to come to Jesus. He came to a father whose child was dying. Because he came to him, that father was able to get to Jesus. He came for a woman who had an issue of blood. Because he came for her, she was able to get to him. And when she touched the hem of his garment, virtue went out of him and she was healed. He came for a woman who was taken in adultery and he forgave her. 
came to a hungry multitude and they came to him looking for bread. You see, we can come to Jesus because he came to us. And you know that when we get to him, here's what we can do. We can give our burdens to him. All ye that labor, man, I'm weary. I don't know if I can, I don't, I don't know if I can stand this another day. And heavy laden, come to me, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Peter wrote it this way. He said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Do you know that I can give him my cares? But I have to trust him with them. I, I can lay aside this weight and sin which does so easily beset me. I, I can give these burdens to God. I can look to him like a baby in the crib with tears streaming down my face and say, I need help. I can come to him because he's come to me. I can come to him and I can bring my burdens to him. Uh, be careful for nothing. Philippians chapter four and verse six, be careful for nothing. That means I don't have to live in anxiousness. I don't have to live uh, in knots, so to speak. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The thing about the song, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. Aren't you glad you can tell him? And he wants to hear. You see, just like there's a monitor in that baby's room that will get my attention. If I'm near enough to it, God's monitor covers every place at all times. He hears the faintest of cries. And I can give my burdens to him. Be careful for nothing but everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And here's what will happen. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you know what prayer does? I do believe prayer changes things. And let me tell you one of the chief things it changes. It may not change my circumstances, but it changes my perspective. Because when I, th when I see things in light of who God is, now, remember, I have to recognize his identity. When I see things in light of who God is, my perspective changes, and he fills my heart with peace. Well, we must come to him in faith. I have to believe. I have to believe that God is able. I have to believe that he is wise. I have to believe that he is loving. I have to believe that his grace is sufficient. Remember, Paul prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, and it wasn't. Some would say, Paul, your faith wasn't great enough. <laughs> well, that's not true. Do you know what God said to Paul? He said, I'm not going to remove that. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient. I will sustain you through it. Look to me. Come to me. So if we want to find rest for our souls, number one, we must recognize his identity, who he is. He's God. Secondly, we must respond to his invitation. We can come because he came to us. We can bring our burdens to him, and we must come to him in faith. Well, then finally, we note this. We must receive his instruction. 
If we want to find rest for our souls, we have to receive his instruction. You see, Jesus is a teacher. And we're his disciples. That means we're his learners. We're his followers. So notice what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we come to Jesus, we don't just come for a one-time meeting and then walk away. I remember as a young person, and I, I, I hope our young people will have this memory as well, and many of them do, going to camp, going to youth camp and hearing preaching. You're, you're away from the world for a week. You're with uh, people in the church. You're around the leaders of the church. You're in meetings in the morning and meetings in the evening and a, a healthy diet of preaching and devotions. And it's amazing what happens when you do that. You put yourself in a place where God can speak to you. By the way, you don't have to go to camp for that either. You can do that at home and in this congregation. But I'm, I'm a big advocate of youth camp and youth meetings. And so, but here's what would happen to me invariably in those meetings. Oftentimes, I would, I would, God would speak to me in such a wonderful way, and I'd come to the altar, and, and, and I, would, I was sincere and, and, and cry out to God and get my heart right and, and, and make some commitments to the Lord and then leave the meeting and ultimately the camp and go back to life with the labor and the heavy burdens. And I found out the answer, although it's a great thing, the answer is not just simply going to a camp. The answer is not just coming and getting a good dose. We use that term sometimes. Like taking a spiritual pill that's just going to energize me, you know, for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way, does it? You see, when you come to Jesus, you don't just come and get a little dose and then leave. No, you come to stay. You don't leave him. You're coming to him without any thought of departing. You have to learn to be what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus, a learner that's why he says this. Look at it again. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, there's some things I want to I give you as we think about his instruction. First of all, we enter into a new partnership. We enter into a new partnership. He's talking about rest, but look at the word he uses. Take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? It's something that harnesses two cattle or two oxen or, or, or maybe even two horses pulling a wagon or something. It, it harnesses them together. It's a piece of wood that laid over the back of the, of the ox. And the two oxen were, were, were tied together. It kept them from straying. It kept them together. It kept them going in the same direction. It provided extra horsepower or ox power for the farmer who was plowing the field. Jesus said, I'll give you rest, and here's how you find it. Not by, by just sitting at home in your recliner. No, by yoking up in a partnership with me, by serving me with your life. He says, 
take my yoke upon you. We're in a new partnership. I'm not alone in this. He's with me. And by the way, he's doing the work. I'm just with him. I'm with him. We, we begin a new process. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I remember I told my dentist when I was a kid, I said, I think I'd like to be a dentist. And then he told me how long I had to go to school to be a dentist. And I decided I didn't want to be a dentist anymore. I thought, man, that seems like forever. You mean to tell me I'm going to be in school that long? I don't even like school. Do you know what I've determined? I've learned what you've learned, many of you. I'm going to be in school the rest of my life. You see, if I know the Lord is my Savior, my desire, the desire of my heart, the cry of my heart ought to be what Paul prayed, that I may know him. You see, the life of a disciple is a lifelong process of following Christ and learning through the experiences of life, through the instruction that we receive, uh, learning how to deal with the heavy burdens, learning each day that I have to commune with Christ. I have to continue on a daily basis, on an hour-by-hour basis to bring my burdens to him. But what happens to me sometimes is I think I got it figured out. And it happens to you too. And we live as if we didn't need God. We take the training wheels off. The first time I took them off, I went down the hill at my street and over the curb and into the briars. And that's what happens to many of us. It's a process. We don't come and go. We stay at the feet of Jesus. Well, we enter into a new partnership and we begin a new process and then we experience a new power, a power that we don't have. Notice again what he says here. And ye shall find rest unto your souls in verse 29, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, help me. We're going to carry this burden. Have you ever had the heavy side you know what I mean by that? You get three or four guys together. You got something heavy to carry out, and you've got the heavy side. I remember carrying a casket. I was at a funeral. I had to help with the, carry the casket. They didn't have enough pallbearers. And I think I was the only guy on my side of the casket, I'm telling you. Sometimes you get the heavy side. Have you ever had the light side before? I mean, you've got a corner of the whatever it is you're carrying. You've got a corner of it, but I mean, you, you know, you know in your heart, I don't have any weight. <laughs> if you'll come to Jesus, he'll take the heavy side. You might have a little corner of it, but he'll take the heavy side. But you have to come to him. You have to stay with him. You have to learn of him. Paul wrote it this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, Paul suffered greatly, didn't he? Beaten, stoned, three times 
received stripes. Twice he was stoned, left for dead. Hated, condemned. Yet he said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. I'll partner with you. You might be here this morning and you're full of grief. Jesus became meek and lowly. He was touched with your grief. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. You may be here this morning and, and you, you can't get free from the chains of sin. Jesus took your sin. He drank the cup of it, all of it. He became meek and lowly so that he might deliver you from it. He'll bear with you in it. He'll forgive you for it if you'll come to him. You say, well, I've, I've come and I, I find myself in this mess again. Well, then you got to keep coming because that's how you learn. I wish you weren't going through this trial. I, I really wish you weren't either, to be honest with you, but let me just say this to you. If you weren't, you wouldn't be learning. So just keep coming. Maybe this morning you need to come. Then come to him. Come with a bowed head and a bended knee, a repentant heart, a hopeful cry. Get me out of this. I don't know if he'll get you out of it, but he'll get you through it. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.